0: Hello, and uh, welcome to the 30-Minute CMO Podcast. My name is Gorsha Kucho, and uh, I'm joined by my friend and partner, Alex McNamara. Alex, hello. Hello. Good evening. Good evening. How are you?
1: I'm very good, thank you. Very good.
0: Have are you? Um, worried that your job and mine will be eliminated by AI, and then also will be replaced <laughs> on this podcast uh, by AI Alex and AI Gorsha. So um, I think... The fact that we decided to sit down today and talk about this scary little topic is a good thing for both of our futures. No?
1: I mean, I mean, if Drake can get a, a song made through AI, what's to stop them from replicating our voices and our and our banter, you know? So I look forward to this being the last podcast where we actually have to go and sit down and talk, and then we can just feed it into <laughs> the machine.
0: <laughs> well, um, despite yeah, just just despite all the scary, scary, scaries. Um, there is a lot of actually cool stuff that's happening out there. And um, actually I think there's a lot more promise there than things to be scared about. Um, and to talk about all of this, um, you and I invited a guest, uh, someone, yeah, someone who actually has the, the knowledge and the pedigree to talk about these things, unlike you and me. So, uh, <laughs> without, um, um, further ado, um, let's welcome Omar. Um, Omar Tabakol. He is the CEO of Rembrandt. Um, And Omar, we'll go into your background in a
2: second, but we just wanted to say hello and thank you for joining us. Hello. Delighted to be here. Thanks for inviting me. And could I say something about your your whole chat GPT, like uh, someone, the fear part? Because I thought that was really funny. You remind me of this ruthless, Um, Her thing I heard a long time ago where someone told me, Omar, you know, if you're in the woods and you're being chased by a bear, you don't actually have to outrun the bear. You just have to outrun everybody else running from the bear. (laughs) So so it's the refrain you hear on LinkedIn. You're not going to lose your job to AI. You're going to lose your job to the guy who's using AI. (laughs) It's
0: actually, um, I think uh, for the first time I am seeing experimentation in AI happening, but literally on all fronts, uh, people who have never considered themselves to be early adopters are early adopters of, of this. Um, and I think that it's, I think we'll get into this obviously, but it's going to push the frontiers of the, of of this so much further, so much earlier on, just because like our finance guy is. Experimenting with this because he can write reports you know using this uh these tools a lot a lot quicker so uh we'll get we'll get to this in a second then we'll see who is going to be the one outrunning everyone else but before we do this um everyone obviously knows that alex and i have um very few qualifications to talk about things that we normally talk about on this podcast but you on the other hand have been in this industry in, in, in the industry of advertising marketing technology um for um for a long time and have kind of traced the arc of the development of commercial internet and all of the capabilities uh, that, that have come with it and all the opportunities. And um, uh, I wanted you to maybe give us just a little bit of an introduction to your background, um, where you started and what led you to um, found Rambrand and what Rambrand maybe is in a nutshell, and then we'll kind of dive into uh, the topics at hand.
2: Awesome. So, yeah, I mean, I think the two relevant parts of my background that led me to Rembrandt is, you know, uh, at the very beginning, end of 2007, beginning of 2008, I created a company called Blue Kai with some amazing co-founders. And um, our whole thesis back then was to create a pure data company that powered the ad ecosystem without competing with the uh, people in the ad ecosystem, meaning never serve an ad so you can partner with everybody else who serves and sells ads but be the you know, default data platform and data marketplace. Um, and we got lucky, the vision actually played out. We you know, became a large data marketplace, then we became a data platform for people who had their own data, and then Oracle acquired us. And then with you know, uh, Mr. Ellison's checkbook, we were able to continue to acquire other data players and we, the Oracle Data Cloud became a $500 million business plugged into like 97 of the top 100 digital marketers. So it was a really fun ride. And, um, you know, after staying there a few years, I, I you know, uh, one of my co-founders, David, with, with some other great co-founders, started an AI company, like outside of the ad ecosystem, left, left my roots for a little while. Uh, and, you know, un- my graduate degree was in AI, so I was like so happy to be back, you know, doing, doing this thing I was passionate about. And um, we spent a few years doing uh, a conversational intelligence uh, company called Voicea. Cisco acquired it and integrated it into all of their kind of voice platforms. So, you know, Webex. So, if you turn on closed captions in real time, that was us. And, and then we added translation and intent detection, transcription, uh, and then they plugged it into Webex Calling. So, of course, all the Cisco phones uh, and the Webex Contact Center, all their contact centers. Um, so it was a great, fun ride, and um, out. After spending three years in Cisco, you know, went out with David, with uh, co-founders, you know, Nikki Heider, with, you know, Ahmed, who ran virtual product placement uh, engineering for Amazon Prime, and this gentleman, Abdu, who's our data scientist, early guy on Jeff Hinton's team, you've seen Jeff Hinton's in in the news lately, Uh, and um, a really well-published deep learning guy, we all got together and built Rembrandt. uh, and so it's just it's very exciting because Rembrandt is part marketing uh, marketplace for virtual product placement, but it's also an AI company with an API um, that's solving a very interesting and hard problem, which is photorealistic virtual product placement uh, in post production video. I'll stop. I think that was a long intro.
1: No, that was a it was a great uh, a great way to see how you came uh, and built companies at different stages of the technology that was available and being able to see what the next step was. So looking at blue Kai, looking at voice looking at Rembrandt, how did that idea of Rembrandt come that come to you? So what were you thinking or what, what opportunity did you see when you went to, uh, you know, the light bulb moment went off as I'm sure it was that instantaneous.
2: Yeah, it was, uh, <laughs> it's actually two, to a year and a half. Um, of uh, sparking together sticks, looking for fires and then, and then maybe one hour where it was like, oh my God, this is it. Um, and, and so the, the year and a half before was exploring a thesis, which was broader than Rembrandt, which is, I think we need something like a Twilio for AI manipulation of streams. Um, it's very hard to manipulate voice, video, needs a lot of data, needs a lot of training. Eventually, you know, foundational models come into the picture and no, not many people can afford it. But all sorts of developers are going to want to do things like manipulate video, um, manipulate your voice, uh, create avatars, all this kind of stuff. So could you produce an API that did it? That was the broad area that I was investigating. And I was looking for different killer apps to start with. And um, then when I started looking into the product placement ecosystem in the marketing world, I like, realized it's a tens of billions of dollar industry that is so manual. Like two years before a movie gets published, you negotiate to get in the strip, script. And you lose all these interesting opportunities that, well, what if you do it once the video is produced, uh, all the people could see it. Um, and you can bid on it and you can have different products in different countries. Wow, this could open up, you know, if you look at what programmatic, did to advertising where you used to fax ios and now a hundred billion dollar business is like real-time bidded um, with all this data brought to the table what if you could do that to product placement um and i realized that that was a specific application of manipulation of streams using advanced ai then we went all in into uh into this business so Playing around with lots of uh, sticks and then eventually a spark. Yeah. merged. I
1: mean, like d- diving into that that bit. Um, you mentioned sort of the the product placement. I remember the you know one of the most famous ones is the Omega watches in in James Bond. Um, and then when they had a uh, Heineken was in there. You know, all of these are deals done before they shoot so they can get um, dollars in to fund the movie. But what you're saying is you could produce a piece of content and then you could go and be able to sell the different um, placements, but not just one for one, one for many. So where do you think the advantage is for you, for AI, um, for brands, for advertising agencies, for um, who who are more in in the buying, and then for creators and people who are producing the content?
2: Yeah, for the, for the brand side, you know, the, the, the value prop is very interesting. First off, let me step back and say we initially have focused uh, our attention on influencer inventory. And the reason we did that is influencers are very fast moving. So they produce a couple, you know, videos a, a week. And they're a single decision maker on what can go in the movie and they will allow interesting things that you couldn't do in a movie. For example, if we did an animation in the middle of their video to draw attention to the product, they would think that's cool. A movie director would come after us with a gun. <laughs> you're yeah, right. So, um, that's number one. Number two is because it's so fast moving, you can only survive and compete if you really have AI that's automated. Whereas in the movie industry, you can afford to hire a team of VFX people to do all these effects. And it might take you three weeks and $50,000, but maybe the movie is expensive enough to afford that. In our world, no way that will fly. So we knew if we had an automated approach with AI, we would stand out and be differentiated in the influencer world more so than the movie world. We'd get a lot of data with the influencer videos and then start doing movies. But by then we'd have the data advantage, the speed advantage, the price advantage. Um, So back to your question though, which is from the brand's perspective, why is this interesting? The brand pitches really, you step back and say, what's the comparison point? The comparison point isn't just um, product placement using sponsored posts. It's also um, advertising. So if you're advertising on a YouTube, 66% of the consumers are going to skip the ad at five seconds. So you're you're really getting very low attention. And so, and, and the remaining consumers, some of them are paying money to get subscriptions so they don't ever see the ad in the first place. So, How are we going to get consumer attention in that world? So what we do is we come and say, wait a minute, don't be an interruption to the content they want to see. Be integrated into the story, be native, and be part of the story. So that's the first part of it. And that means that you can get attention going from five seconds to maybe 10 minutes sitting in the background uh, being observed by the consumer. That's number one. Number two, the comparison point shifts now to sponsor posts. So sponsor posts exist in podcasts. You you do a podcast and then you interrupt the podcast for two minutes saying you know hey look at this doodad I love it here's why I love it and you do the script and it's supposed to be authentic. If there are any and people who sell
1: doodads that want to contact us, we are doodad uh, forward. Uh, just let us know in the comments.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, that's great. The problem with that is several. One, it takes four to six weeks of back and forth. If you're a brand, you're only reaching, there are 50 million influencers, you're only reaching the head of the head. And you're negotiating and you're shipping product and they're waiting and then they get the script and they're like, hell no, I'd never say that. And you pay them a lot of money to get them to say what you want to say. Mm-hmm. So the alternative here is to say, treat this like AdSense for virtual product placement. Go in, enter a campaign with an audience target, a budget, a digital product, and we will fly it in all sorts of influencer inventory. And the influencer didn't have to do anything they just submit the video, we stitch it in, they post it, and they get paid. So um, it's very interesting. So now the advertiser gets attention at a lower cost for a longer period of time, uh, in a way that still benefits from being associated to culturally relevant influencers.
1: You're, so an influencer who may not have the the mega reach to command a fee from a from a big brand could still upload their video with their uh, demo, the deterministic data. So someone could buy against their audience and hypothetically an array of brands could go in there and say, like, I want to put put my product in that area because I really want to reach this audience, this really specific niche audience that they, this influencer targets. Um, so you're democratizing a lot of that for, for these people who are content creators who are able to really maybe not have a, an agent, maybe not have the ability to go and, command a presence with these brands, which I think is great for people who are producing content that is you know, from everywhere around the world.
2: Yeah, I mean, we wanna unleash creativity globally and really give the creators an ability to say, focus on what you're good at, which is awesome content that's authentic that what your audience wants. That's what we want. The brand is gonna benefit from being part of that, not from disrupting it. And if the more we succeed in drive liquidity, The more we can provide that liquidity in deeper into into the curve of of influencers, not just the people at the head. Now, in the beginning, of course, we do work with a lot of influencers who have uh, representation. You know, uh, we've been one of our investors is the largest talent agency out there, so we we have skewed a little bit to lots of the 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 top, but we do have some influencers who you know are sub one hundred thousand followers. Right, so we we'd go from like you know sub hundred thousand followers to you know twenty million followers. That that's kind of the range we're at now. But the more liquidity we get, the more we can go long tail.
0: You know, I um you you guys started this conversation by referencing the more traditional method of product insertion and uh, the long lead times, and I just can't help but think that even that seems like it's um it's a It's a component of the industry that's ripe for uh, disruption. And this is kind of connecting back to um, our episode about Formula One, um, Alex. Um, But Omar, I'm not sure if you've seen Drive to Survive or not. It's a series that has revitalized the popularity of Formula One as a sport internationally and in the U.S. Um, There are brands that have bought multi-million, million million sponsorships with uh, those teams that don't exist anymore. They went out of existence, FTX being one before the first episode of the season aired. And so how stupid does that look that you have so much prominent airtime being given to something that doesn't exist where if a variant of your technology and your approach was utilized, these rights could be sold geographically to, um, to advertisers more dynamically uh and um and 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 be more relevant and, and and teams and and the sport could make more money and would connect better with uh with those consumers who are watching uh in their local markets where that particular brand might have more more of a relevance
2: absolutely that's the you're nailing it targetability um by location by time by audience viewership uh you know This technology opens up such interesting opportunities, both for the consumer, for the brand, and for the publisher who wants to monetize. So we
0: dove right into the thick of your product. Let's let's take a step back for a second, just so that we can ground ourselves in some fundamentals, because I think there is a lot of, um, again, there's there's a lot about AI that uh, that people are still learning, and uh, even for those who are listening to this podcast, uh, a lot of these folks are marketers or people who are. Um, business founders, like startup founders, um, can you just kind of ground us in what is this latest um, kind of twist on um, on the idea of artificial intelligence? We hear a lot about large language models, LLMs. We hear a lot about gener- generative AI. Can you just kind of, in simple terms, um, share with us how this needs to be understood and how do we wrap our hands around like this this iteration of artificial intelligence?
2: Um, okay, I'll start with the, the, trying to make it super simple. Um, after this podcast, right now it's you know late afternoon. I haven't eaten yet, so if I tell you after this I'm hungry, I'm gonna go have. What would you guess is the next word?
1: I'm gonna guess dinner.
2: Exactly, Nail that's dance. what I was thinking. Let's go. Right, see, you're you're tapping into your large language model, and essentially that's what these this, this inventive twists of these uh, large language models and techniques that can use similar ones for for imagery is essentially having an algorithm guess the next token. What is the next thing based on everything I know from everything I've trained and everything you've said? And these algorithms just became more and more sophisticated in guessing the next token and the token after it and the token after it, the 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 models themselves became richer, the amount of data that got trained into it get became richer, the ability to carry more context, because I give you one sentence, but if I give you three paragraphs, the probability that you're gonna nail not just the next word, but the next three sentences goes up. So um in a nutshell, that's what this uh AI set of capabilities uh, unleashed and they and they have this ability to do more, you know, um Uh, self-supervised or unsupervised learning. You didn't have to label everything um, in the the way we used to because now you could take data assets and just withhold pieces of it and tell the thing to try to guess what the next token is. And and since you know what the next token is, you you can give feedback. You didn't have as much human labeling intervention going on with these techniques. So uh, they unleashed so much predictive power that when you show it to a user, they think it looks like magic.
1: I mean, I've used it. It does look like magic.
2: <laughs>
1: I've, Absolutely. I've been on chat GPT and, and I've uh, messed around with it. I've asked it to do a limerick as a pirate, uh, to write a story as, uh, you know, all these different things, uh, giving it prompts. And then I've also used it uh, to help my writing. So I took a thing that I wrote, I took a thing that a, a professional had then edited and I said, Hey, compare these things, give me the points. And I used it to basically look at where I need to improve my writing style for the next round. And
2: that's it wasn't,
1: awesome. It wasn't there. It wasn't like quite hundred percent accurate, yeah. but it was accurate enough where I could take the themes of it and then take it and then edit it. So I had to do maybe 30 minutes of work to figure out where I could improve rather than two, three, four hours of it. So the, yeah. the ability awesome. to leverage that is huge.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, I wrote my last term sheet, uh, for a partner. Uh, I basically gave it a bunch of stuff, do this, and it spit out a term sheet and I had to edit it, of course, quite a bit. Um, so I, I find this stuff fascinating. I think the area that's super interesting around these, you know, large language models is the, the, the problems around hallucination, um, and making sure that the users understand that. So, and so, so that they're not um, fooled by, so by hallucination, and there are better terms than hallucination here, is these language models are always predicting the next token. So there are two problems with that. One, they're trained on data that's available on the internet, and a lot of the what's available on the internet is wrong, racist, factually completely incorrect, hateful, misogynistic, everything, right? Like everything you can imagine that's bad and, and in addition to a, a lot of good is out there. So it's trained on that. So when it predicts the next token, it's going to also uh, predict based on all the garbage that it was trained on. So that's, number, that's the, no, no, the first problem. You, 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 you give it lies, it'll predict a, a lie. Um, the other problem, which is a little bit more insidious, is you give it a, a, a prompt it's never seen before and it'll make stuff up. Right. So it'll make citations of articles that were written in your name that were never written. Um, and then and then when you cite it in the answer, the end user is like, oh, wow, uh, Alex said X, Y, Z. It was it's even here. It had, gave me the date that he said it made it up completely. Mm. Um, and, and so when you embed that in a search engine where people are looking for answers um, and you're not able to highlight this piece is a lie, this piece is a hallucination. You know, there's a lot of like danger that we need to figure out there uh, in, in those models.
0: I'm um, I'm curious, sort of related to this, but uh, kind of maybe a a, a three part question, but I'll, I'll try to keep it manageable. One is, um, why did this get such quick adoption? Given that we literally lived in the pre ChatGPT world in January of this year, like people people didn't really know about this in mass until it hit us like a tidal wave in February. So that's the first one. What role in all of this do Microsoft and Google play? Because they've been the two tech giants who have been on the tip of every journalist and every, every expert and blogger talking about this. And then connected to this is yes, we know these companies and we, we, they work within the realm of American legislation. Surely this work is happening outside of, uh, our world in places that um, might not be as focused on um, fixing hallucinations or indeed might be interested in enhancing them to influence how people think. So, you know, sort of like why so quickly? Why, you know, why these giants and who else is the big player in the field uh, that we might not know about?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the... Um, I think it exploded in the conscious of the consumer this year, but this has been developing for quite some time, right? So, I mean, you know, there was uh, back in 2019, you started to see, you know, Google and others have these advancements where they said, "Hey, we can we can map all the world the words in the world into this like highly dimensional space." and be able to understand that the word Paris and London are semantically linked. And we can do that across language. And so the, the, there was this like new representation and large data sets that allowed people to have, you know, more predictability on how to substitute things in sentences. And, you know, that started happening. And then, you know, OpenAI came along and, you know, it was GPT and then GPT-2 and GPT-3. And, and, and so I think this was boiling for a while. And it just became good enough and accessible enough when you added chat GPT on top of it, which was an interface that you can ask in in plain sentences, that it exploded in the conscience. Mm -hmm. Um, So usually these things that, you know, sparks, fire, um, um, they appear to be sudden, but they're not so sudden. Um, uh, That's one thing. Um, Now, Microsoft's play in this was absolutely brilliant. Like um, I'm a fanboy of Satya from w- what he's done. Where Microsoft, after Gates, was for a while a company led by sales and finance, and then when you got Satya came back, you, you got a product visionary who um, really felt like Microsoft needed to be open to the ways of the world outside of Microsoft and not insular. And he did things like deals like OpenAI and um, you know uh, acquiring GitHub and and like you know bringing the outside's best into microsoft and not expecting only innovation internally so that's deal with with uh open was unbelievably brilliant i mean who would have thought that bing is going to compete at the level that it's competing with google search um oh it's brilliant incredible. yeah it's
0: pretty incredible and um and, and and how do you think about um sort of external players um, you know there's a lot of talk about this kind of work happening in china in places that uh, may want to deploy this kind of technology uh, both for good reasons as well as reasons that may be less good. you know how this maybe gets into the topic of sort of control and legislation, but I think that's a lot of the fear here is that uh, what you talk you because you touched on hallucinations and hallucinations are influenced by factors that may be inadvertent like what kind of information is available on the internet. but I can't help but think about how, <laughs> you can start seeding that sort of information for these models to scrape and future iterations of GPT um, become biased because there is just a lot more of incorrect, actually wrong information that's intentionally being placed to alter these types of um, products.
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you look at the last election cycle, we saw how misinformation and disinformation can scalably manipulate people's perspective. Right. Combine that with technologies that have the capability to hallucinate embedded in them. If you connect those two, you, you, you yeah, it, uh, the risks are high and, and, and I do believe people are going to figure out how to hack these in the next, uh, election cycles. So yeah, that, that's a, that's a real concern.
1: I didn't even think about that. That is terrifying. Given what happened with just, like buying and producing videos and, you know, we're all worried about deep fakes, but this is, this is one, one thing that it's going to be, you have no idea what's going to happen and you can't even tell I, what's no, real and that can't even tell what's real and what's not. So yeah, it's going to be interesting to try and keep up with that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. There, there are real risks and people are um, really aware of this. And by the way, I've been saying hallucination, the, the more technical way of saying that is confabulation. Um, uh, just for the, the people who are going to object to my use of hallucination, <laughs> hallucination is a more popular form of it, but, but confabulation is what people like to call it.
0: Very interesting. Um, Omar, I guess, uh, just, uh, connecting this back to, um, Rembrandt um and um thinking about you know obviously this this has not been something that just appeared out of nowhere as you said this has been building and building and building up to wh- what it is now but how does um how does what you guys do relate to uh, you know degenerative um ai are you able to leverage the technology to help solve um maybe problems um that previously have not been solvable using the pre-existing technology as we think about um, product placement, as you think about, you know, the different environments where the product might be, might, might need to be placed. Can you just kind of share with us how you guys are applying this to solve some of the technical challenges?
2: Yeah. So let, let me talk about what the technical challenges are. I mean, essentially when you take a video and you place a Coke can in it or a Pepsi or, um, uh, you know, any product there it needs to look photorealistic and it needs to look photorealistic in a moving video um, with all the lighting, all the reflections, uh, shadows, the movement. So your hand goes in front of the object needs to disappear. Um, And so for that, we couldn't have the equivalent of confabulation or hallucination visually. We can't have someone with six fingers. We can't have the, 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 you know, the mug floating just above the, the, the surface, it'll the, the mind will reject it immediately. Um, so we uh, created this variant called physics-informed generative AI. And physics-informed generative AI has to like l- make everything look like it was filmed in the original. And to do that, we have to solve a bunch of problems. So what are those problems? The first one is we got to do this in an in a, uh, automated way. We can't hire VFX people to insert things. It's got to be, the AI has got to be able to do that. And so the challenge along the way of you get a video, you need, the AI needs to first estimate where was the camera placed when it took the scene. So um, that, that, of course, has some complexity, of course, because things could be moving and there could be lens distortion and all those kind of stuff that you got you to figure out. Then the next thing you need to do is figure out, okay, when you get a video, it's a bunch of 2D scene, It's, it's a 2D object, right? It's, every frame is 2D. Our brain explodes it into three dimensions, But the actual video is two-dimensional. So we needed to have something like a multi-view stereo so that we can more accurately create a 3D reconstruction out of the two-dimensional images. And so there are techniques that you need to do do that. We needed to do things around understanding the scene layout. So what's the depth of the scene? Where are all the, the planes pointing? And um, if I looked at those planes, what are the, the surface materials of them? So I understand reflectivity, which brings me to then figuring out the lighting. How can you get, you know, photorealistic placement that has all the shadows right and the intensity and the color and the direction of the light source um, and, and, and doing so in a way where you really understand the, the dynamic range. And so what we had to do is develop the technology um, that could reconstruct that um, um, and then we had to handle motion. If you put a hand in front of a can, the can better disappear, and then when your hand moves, the can reappears. Um, this is called occlusion. And so essentially, we had to do generative techniques, but where the data that went in to train it um, taught the algorithms, essentially the laws of lighting and physics, so that we don't have the same equivalent of hallucination. So it's called physics-informed generative AI, and it's new, a new field, and it's fascinating.
1: And That is
0: incredible. I'm sorry, I just have to just react to the fact that we take this for granted uh, you know we even had a little bit of a demonstration before this uh, uh, this podcast tape right uh, alex and uh, you know you just like yeah. you, you look at the product placement and you're like yeah like this looks real yeah
1: that's that's uh, omar
0: the... o- omar just like talked through i mean there are terms i have never heard of in my life that are actually like a core part of uh, making this look so native that's that's mind blowing
2: yeah and look all this stuff uh, I'm the guy who appears on the cop podcast I'm the CEO I don't write the code uh kudos to like I said our our CTO uh uh Ahmed our our chief scientist Abdu you know who has a fantastic uh AI team you know de- developing this stuff and and David and Nikki driving the product uh I'm just the guy with a smile who who gets to have fun with you know being on the podcast
1: So every everything you talk through is that something that you are you're close to doing all in AI. So everything that you talk through, that's just what would have been a visual effects person in a studio, putting things in You're gonna, your AI software is gonna be able to do all those steps in certain. Yes, we,
2: we, we do that today and we're live Incredible. now we, we cheat. So how <laughs> do we cheat? Let me explain that clearly we choose a subset of the problem that is easier. And then every week we relax a few constraints. So where we are today is we prefer to handle talk shows because talk shows tend to have, you know, mostly fixed camera, even though you're zooming in and zooming out and cutting and doing all those things and it's mostly fixed camera, it's indoor. There is a a table and a wall. So um, that, that, what I call cheating, even though it's fair, um, allows us to solve the easier parts of this problem. And in parallel, we're developing the AI to say, okay, remove that constraint, let it go outdoors. Okay, allow the camera to move. Um, and when you start removing more of these constraints, you start to move beyond podcasts and you start to opening it up to like any influencer and, and, and then also TVs and movie, TV and movie. Um, so our start in the first quarter was constrain the problem. And I think good startups are created that way, like constrain your problem in a way that's fair and has a marketplace yeah. nail it, yeah. dominate it and grow.
0: Um, I'm just thinking um, if, they're, if you're kind of banking on um, a lot of these mid-tail and kind of maybe long-tail um, creators uh, coming onto your platform to seek brand opportunities or sponsorship opportunities, or even maybe like the high-end, you know, are you guys going to have guides and kind of tips for how to structure your set and how to film so it works best with your product? Or totally. are you going to make it? Just totally. We,
2: we already do that today where influencers, were, we have a process we call an onboard, which is give us your first video. We'll give, we'll place a product and we'll give you feedback. And in that we could give you feedback, like, you know, we place a product here, but your desk is cluttered next time. If you leave a little room, it'll be easier and you will get paid more. Uh, and then, and then, you know, we've, um, in one onboard process, we had, you know, wonderful influencers say, hey, there's a space back here. If you guys want, you know, ship me a shelf and I'll put something. So you put there. So my my CTO heard me suggest, hey, why don't we ship them a shelf? He laughed at me. He goes, what are you talking about? We'll just insert a shelf <laughs> virtually and then we'll insert the product on top of the shelf. And I'm like, oh, yeah, of course. Why did not I think that? <laughs>
1: Old habits die hard, I guess.
2: Yep. So yeah, they are the influencers are willing to you know change their scene. We don't want them to do too much because our whole point is just you know film your video and we'll we'll put something something in it. So there's a little bit of a balance there.
1: I'm gonna ch- uh, shifting tracks a little just a little bit, but with we kind of alluded to this at the top of the show. Um, with this new technology, there is a lot of people saying copywriters like. In the, in the marketing world, copywriters are going to be out of a job. Creators will be out of a job. Um, production will be out of a job. You know, there was a video going around talking about hallucinations and uh, which other words you use Discombobulations? Um,
0: confabulation. confabulation.
1: Confabulation. That's what I was there. Um, <laughs> but AI Video created this pizza ad where, you know, someone picks up a slice and the slice is the hand and the mouth is sort of two feet wide. Um, and then there was a beer one with a similar kind of If you're not paying attention and you're sort of walking past the room, you go, oh, it's an ad for a pizza or a beer. But if you watch it, it's like this horrific scene where nothing makes sense and your brain melts. Um, So there's a little bit of work to be done there. But in terms of like jobs, I I feel like there's the people who think that their jobs will be taken away. There are people who think I can do my job better and I can do more jobs through this. If I have this tech that will save me you know, 10 hours or 20 hours or 50 hours in a project, I can do more of more work faster and do more of the work. Um, and, or, and there's going to be new jobs that are created because this technology exists where, you know, people who wouldn't be able to code, wouldn't be able to design can go in there and say, hey, what is the code that I need to be able to build a website that does this when I click this? And then, you know, it goes to something else and say, hey, design me an image that does this. Um, what are your thoughts on this and how do you see people fear the tech, embracing the tech? And where do you see this uh, sort of how the tool gets leveraged?
2: Look, this is a timeless problem. We as humanity struggle with this over and over and over. Like when you get in an elevator, you no longer have a person whose job is to open the door and close the door and go like, and do we feel sad about the absence of that job? Probably not. New jobs got created. And that's just the nature the nature of creative destruction so um and and the people who are busy using chat gpt to figure out how to improve their job are not the same people who are worried Mm -hmm. about losing it it's the non-users who are afraid that tells you something that's that's an it's it's an interesting it's an interesting pattern having said that i don't want to be dismissive of the problem because it will take away jobs and so this does require us being deliberate about giving the right training for people to find those new jobs and i also don't want to be dismissive of the fact of all the entrepreneurs who will figure out how to use these techniques to make new companies will benefit from it and they are few and the ones who will pay the price um, are many and that will lead to more wealth concentration so i don't want to be dismissive even people like you know Jeff Hinton, you know, who is a lot considered father of some of this, you know, revolution is warning um, uh, on issues. So there really are issues we have to worry about, particularly around job retraining. But I just think the long arc here and any technical evolution is creative destruction. Some stuff gets created, destroyed and you know the things that will get destroyed. So it's easier to fear and things that will get created, but you don't know the form of those created jobs yet. So you, it's hard to Uh, tie your hope to it but when you take the long view that always happens right the printing press Mm -hmm. took away jobs and created oh my god so much opportunity same thing with the internet same thing with you know the mobile phone same thing with socials same thing with this. it's just this is a big one
1: it is a big one and having played around with it i can see the the benefits of the power that it it wields
0: omar do you think that um there will be legislation around the use of ai kind of its 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 adoption it, is it going to, is is this, is it necessary for this thing to become um a part of our lives in a kind of a constructive way or is or can can we can people just figure it out
2: ooh i'm torn on these things because i don't have high hopes that legislation gets stuff right mm-hmm. seeing how it dealt with privacy and stuff like that it's always like now I go to every website and click on this thing that says I accept and it anno- it like, really, is that really adding value to my life? Did we need privacy legislation? Yeah, because people were doing bad things w- w- with the data, you know, but some of that is more like not just legislation. It's kind of like fines. It's like the FTC coming in, finding bad actors and making examples of them. So it's not all about legislations. It's also about kind of like a uh, uh, punitive enforcement that puts the fear of Uh, you know, I just said the fear of God, but the fear of, you know, some monetary effect. Um, On the other hand, when you look at stuff in the financial industry where the consequences are high, when you don't have legislation, you just get a lot of bad actors and wealth concentration and manipulation. And and so I guess long-winded way of saying, yes, we do need legislation that will protect people. I just don't have very high hopes that we end up with smart legislation. Because this stuff tends to be technically way more complex than um, regulators are usually able to figure out.
1: I have watched it on TV where they grill the uh, t- the tech CEOs about technology they just cannot fathom. So I think that is an yeah. accurate <laughs> that is an accurate way to think about it.
2: Yeah, well intentioned and, and 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 so on, but it gets to be very nuanced, um, and so um you know you're going to need the industry to actually participate uh in this also
0: yeah i think i th- i think this time will arrive faster than we we even imagined earlier this year i read today that ibm is freezing hiring for any job that can be u- done by ai and i'm i'm not you know it doesn't it doesn't seem like it's a minor thing anything that's back office according to their announcement is at this point a, fro- a frozen kind of hiring process and they're going to be evaluating how much of that can be shifted over to artificial intelligence you know if a company at that scale is thinking about it right now today where where with where ai is um you know it might be, it, it might be something that's going to hit us quicker than um, we imagine um yeah. All right. Well, we have a few questions, sort of hot takes for you, um, rapid fire. We'll ask rapid fire. You don't have to answer rapid fire, but we just wanted to kind of go through a series of these, get your perspective, um, as a way to kind of wrap up this topic and um, touch on a, on a few things that we didn't. Um, maybe I'll just start. Um, Alex, you can follow. But um, in two years, will internet and we originally wrote surge, but like, will internet as we know is we know it ceased to exist. And will we be talking to Bart and Bing essentially all day long? Um, How do you see it?
2: I think chat interfaces will become more prevalent in sites, in customer service applications, in service uh, um, search interfaces. It'll just be embedded. You'll even, there was even a few years ago, an attempt for people to do apps that were essentially just conversational. But the technology wasn't good enough on the AI side. Now it's good enough, so I think you'll see a resurgence of that as a more of a default interface.
1: Uh, will Microsoft become a serious player with Bing? You kind of alluded this, to this already.
2: They already are. Yeah, they're 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 becoming way more serious than they were before. I still, on a daily basis, use Google. I love Google, so I don't think that'll change. And they are not stagnant, and they will respond. And they. Um, the, the unfortunate uh, strategy that they've opened themselves up to here is judo, which is the weight of people's trust in judo, and, I'm sorry, in Google, is being used against Google, where Microsoft can come in as almost an incumbent here and take risks with the fact that we're still, ChatGPT still hallucinates. They could take risks with that because they're up against someone who has more to lose than they do. So they're using that weight against. Mm. And now Microsoft is taking the higher risk than Google, which is just an amazing turn of fate.
0: Incredible. Yeah. And looking at the other side of that um, kind of search equation, um, how will online publishers adjust to the new AI chat based paradigm? Uh, Will there be more or less money and who will win here?
2: I don't know the answer to that. More or less uh, money, I do suspect the who will win one will be will they produce more content faster because they have access to this, and will they start to embed more conversational interfaces into their publishing work? Uh, because if they do, you know they'll they'll do great. If they resist and you know just give in to the fear um, and stay behind and not experiment with this, yeah, they'll lose
1: on the, on the socials, is TikTok going to win over Meta?
2: Hmm. Um, TikTok is rising so damn fast, uh, and Meta is not stagnant. So, um, I think TikTok will take share, um, but Meta will, you, you know, is being forced to innovate in what it does in the formats that are closer to the formats of TikTok. So, and and they're not stagnant. So, th- they're not going to become irrelevant, uh but TikTok will take share. They've already taken share.
0: Speaking of metaverses, um that was the hot topic last year. Um is it dead on arrival?
2: I I've always been the idea of me putting on some, you know, uh pair of goggles that shuts my eyes off to the world and immerses me into this other fake world, as cool as it is, um, has applications. But I don't think that's where that's going to dominate. I prefer technologies that are more like AR VR, which is the augmentation of the world as you see it. Um, And and I think those applications will proliferate. But there there are, you know, uh, it was just overhyped. So Th- that idea that you take a company called Facebook and call it Meta and, and pin everybody's hopes that you're going to flip this new paradigm that fast. thats just not how innovation, uh, is more like a field of weeds, not a bed of roses. And they tried to pull a bed of roses there and it just didn't work. It's,
0: it's lonely in horizon worlds right now, oscillating <laughs> creatures floating around. Actually a question, uh, a question, um, just kind of off, uh, off the cuff on this one, but, um, with crypto, with meta, uh, with metaverses, there was a lot of talk about how taxing it is from a computing power standpoint, um, you know, it was just incredibly just resource intensive to do all of this. How is, uh, how are you seeing this apply to or kind of manifest itself uh, when it comes to generative AI? Is this going to be equally just incredibly um, taxing in terms of infrastructure that needs to support all of this?
2: Yeah, definitely. But then you'll get smarter about it. I mean, what I what I loved about what happening with Ethereum is all the huge amount of work that was going in to solve some of the computational uh, how expensive it was, you know, to uh, to essentially you know uh, run the Ethereum network. But the but the innovations that they, they kept doing there were really impressive. And so that's what happens, you know, something like generative AI takes a lot of compute power, and then people spend time figuring out how to make it more and more efficient, like it's got to be interesting first before you can afford the engineering resources to make it uh, efficient. That's just a natural, uh, natural cycle. And we're used to that. It was the same thing with like, you know, doing voice uh, recognition took a lot of compute and people just got more and more efficient at it. Same thing will happen here.
0: We, uh, we touched on the fact that creators, you are banking uh, that the cr- creators will embrace these new AI tools such as Rembrandt, um, and it's going to allow um, many, many sides of the equation to benefit. But how do you scale this globally, um, especially to sort of these global, maybe under-monetized creators in, um, you know, in countries where um, opportunities to make money off of incredible content is just more limited?
2: Yeah, I mean, it, how you uh, tackle any of these uh, problems. Who, who, I, I forgot the right analogy here. How do you eat a, a, an elephant? Well, that's one, one bite at a time. Um, I don't know who came up with that because I wouldn't want any an elephant. But in any case, um, here what we do is, if you look at this, we don't only have the problem of global being overwhelmingly large. If you look at the types of videos that we'd have to like monetize, it's overwhelmingly large. So our uh, s- subsetting of the subsetting was to say, let's start with, talk shows in the US. And then the next thing we said, OK, we kind of did that. Let's add another category sports in the US. And then let's add cooking uh, and let's add DEI. And so we're starting to add category by category still in the US. And then sometime within the year, we'll start to add you know, Europe and so on. And then we'll add other countries. Same thing with Blue Kai. Blue Kai started US only, and then it started to go globally. And then Oracle Data Cloud, we hit essentially almost every country. So I see the same progression. The one advantage we have with this technology is that the visual technology has no cultural or language boundaries. This the, the same laws of physics apply across everywhere in the globe. So the technical aspect of this really doesn't require any customization. The customization comes in at the ad sales level, which is how do I get buyers in Thailand and Brazil and the UK and the US? And there you need, you know, to advertise and open business in those areas. So it's a little bit of an easier problem to globally scale.
1: One final question. Um, Do you have a a recent ad or marketing campaign that sticks out in your mind as a really good one? It's difficult.
2: This is when everyone forgets
1: every single campaign they've ever seen in their entire lives ever.
2: Yes. Right. Right. When you, when you ask about it is when I, when I forget, Oh <laughs> uh, God, it's so embarrassing because of the industry that I'm in and the
1: plethora of ads that you see every single day. Yep. Yeah.
2: Yeah. The, the truth is I watch Netflix, uh, HBO, Apple TV, yep. uh, and none of those have ads.
1: You pay, you pay for the ad free experience.
2: Yeah. Uh, I hate to admit it, but, but yes, I do. now product placement would would solve that. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah, but,
2: uh, yeah, out yeah. of home, out of, out of home advertising, Alex, I'm
0: telling you that's where the future is at.
1: I'm I'm a hundred percent with you out of home advertising. You
2: can, can't,
0: you can't, can't skip, can't skip that on the 405. Yep. You cannot. That's, yeah, <laughs> that's,
2: uh, that's right. Uh, now I do remember a bunch of the ads driving down the highway, uh, uh, to San Francisco. It's amazing. Our ads tell you a lot about our demographic. They're very geeky ads. They're like which API you're gonna be using. yeah There's like Salesforce ads, um, there's Apple ads, yeah. uh Twilio. So I remember those. I, yeah.
1: I think yeah, Billboard Billboards, we're gonna have we're gonna have to talk about this one. But billboards are they're making a comeback. They're they're in that heyday again for for some reason or another. It's it's brilliant. I'm I'm a big fan. Big fan.
0: Omar this has been a really fun conversation a really educational conversation uh, we're excited for um, what you guys are building over at Rambrand uh, we as marketers even though we I said that we have no qualifications but we are marketers and we and we we are end users of a lot of these tools and products and, um, and platforms we're excited to uh, to play around with this and to see how um, this can really become another another piece a powerful piece of the kind of creative meets media puzzle. So um, thank you for sharing your perspectives with us. Thanks for explaining and demystifying some of the um, concepts around artificial intelligence. And uh, we hope that we can maybe come have you come back um, in a little while and um, show us with our little podcast. And maybe once it becomes more of a video hosted experience, how this can be done
2: here as well. We'd, we'd love to have you and work with you. Thank you for having me as guest on your show. It was a lot of fun.